You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning, y'all. I invite you to turn in your scriptures wherever you find them, whether that be your phone, a pew Bible, a Bible that you brought with you. Uh, our scripture this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here be holy and pleasing in your sight. Amen. Well, these last two weeks, you've learned how the Father and the Son create a foundation for how we live, move, work, think, and play. And you've learned how the faith community shapes and molds how we interpret the world. So if I were to ask you to take a sheet of paper Maybe fold it in three, so you get three even columns, and then put Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over those columns, and then I quizzed you, and I said, write down every attribute you know of each person of the Trinity. I don't know if Pastor Matt lets y'all talk, but you can talk during this sermon. Which column would have the most things in it? Which one do you think for you? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Maybe the Son is what I'm hearing a little bit. Which which one's the shortest? The Holy Spirit, right? There is something about the Holy Spirit that we don't seem to get a lot about. Maybe it's because the Spirit is Spirit, right? And with the Son, we have fully God and fully human, at least we can, you know, get on with the fully human part, right? We know what it's like to be in a body, like Jesus knew what it was like to be in a body. And the Son has a relationship with the Father. We can relate to that, most of us, right? But that Holy Spirit, I'll tell you how much we have trouble with the Holy Spirit. A few weeks back at Broadmoor, during our 11 o'clock sanctuary service, we had a blood drive right before Okay, several people passed out during this blood drive. This is just how it works. I don't know what it is, but if we have a blood drive at Broadmoor, someone is going to pass out. So much so that when our new senior pastor said, I think I'm going to give blood during worship, I said, no, you're not, because you're preaching and I'm not catching you when you fall out. Okay, this is how serious it is at Broadmoor. Well, we do the blood drive, good and wonderful ministry, right? giving of our blood to save others. Well, during the first song, one of our choir members falls out. It's on live stream and everything, okay? She falls to the ground, and I mean, she smacks. The sopranos have to carry her out, rush her out the side door, 
and they feed her communion in the back because that's what they thought might bring her blood sugar up was the Welch's grape juice that we had in the back in the sacristy. She's fine, so I can, I can tell this story. I do, I do have permission. So much so, we have trouble with the Holy Spirit that when our music director at the end made a joke and said someone was slain in the Spirit today, everyone looked at him like, <gasps> we missed it. Someone was slain in the Spirit and we missed it. It was a joke that even went over my head for a moment until I realized someone must have passed out behind me in the choir loft. But somehow we're supposed to know how the Holy Spirit fits into our DNA when we have this impoverished doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we do know a lot about the Holy Spirit just by virtue of knowing the Father and the Son. The logic of our Trinitarian doctrine works across the three people three persons of the Trinity. So what you know about one, most likely, is probably true about the Holy Spirit. I want you to take a look on this icon on the screen. Beautiful icon. I have it in my home. And if you were to go shopping and look for this one, uh, the dress and the garbs might be a little different. I think the one in my home, the person on your left, is dressed in something completely different. But it's okay. Um, So when they say the pastor from Broadmoor came and now I looked for this icon and it looks different, it's okay. Uh, They all do look a little different. But we're going to use this one for an example. So you only know the difference. So these are angels, right? But they're supposed to depict the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I won't quiz you and ask you to figure out who is who. I'm going to tell you. So the three different people, the one on the left in white, that's the Father. That is the easiest way to go about this, is just go ahead and tell you that's the Father, and then the other two are facing the Father. The Son is in the middle, and the Holy Spirit is on the right. Now let's see what we can figure out through art about the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in the middle is is the Son, and depending on what your projector looks like, that's either going to be a purple robe or a red robe, and it's decorated with uh, a gold stripe you see on the shoulder right? The purple and gold represent the LSU Tigers. And Okay, I was just making sure y'all were paying attention. You are. The purple and gold represent the anointed one of God. King and prophet, that reddish purple color also represents the earth and therefore Christ's humanity. Remember, Christ is fully God and fully man. And then right next to to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. He's got the blue robe on with the green sash. There are technical terms for this, but I'm a lady preacher and I'm going to call it a sash. Okay? So, it is a little bit difficult to figure out that this is the Holy Spirit. So like the Son, the Holy Spirit is inclined toward the Father, right? Like the Son, uh, the robe is worn in such a way that leaves one arm free. But if you'll notice, it's the opposite arm. St. Irenaeus says this is because the Holy Spirit and the Son are the two arms of the Father, and they've got to do work together. And so they've got two separate arms that are out so they can do work. That way it's not a right hand and a right hand, right? That would be awkward to do work. Now, like the Son, you can see the blue in the robe. We also discover the pale green, which this is a Russian icon, 
and in Russia, green is the liturgical color of Pentecost. So maybe that's a fun fact you didn't know. So here, the idea is that green represents uh, the giver of life, who transmits and transforms our lives through our baptism. So now you've found a few more characteristics to put in your column, right? We've learned giver of life. We've learned Pentecost. We're reminded of all of these words that accompany what we say about the Holy Spirit. Now let's turn to Scripture. The first time we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture is when? Can you think of a time, the first time you might see the Spirit? It's at creation. The Father's not doing all the work by himself. Remember, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters of creation. And it's the Spirit that makes order out of the chaos of creation. Then later, when Jesus arrives on the scene, Jesus is conceived by the power of the Spirit, and he's resurrected by the power of the Spirit. And then finally, the Spirit has a solo moment at Pentecost, when the Spirit descends upon the apostles, fills them with the Spirit so they can speak in these languages and proclaim the gospel with boldness. They have been sent out with a purpose with the Spirit. So we've learned there is a lot that we do know about the Spirit. The Spirit has lots of jobs, and it's present all over the place throughout the Bible. But now we're here to learn, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with you, with your DNA, with your personal life? So the first time you may encounter the Spirit is our role in salvation. We call this prevenient grace, where the Spirit is moving people toward God, just slowly, gently nudging them to get to know God a little bit more. This is before we make a proclamation that we love God with all of our heart and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is before that. The Spirit is already working in our lives to get us to know God. And then later, the Spirit is there at our baptism, or a confirmation, if you were baptized as a child, when you make that public proclamation that you love God and he is your savior. And it's at that justifying moment, the moment where you are made just with God, that you begin this process called sanctification. Kind of sounds like a saint, right? Moving on to be more perfect in God's love. That's the moment where the spirit works on you to make you into a new creation, to make you fit for this new heaven and new earth that God has planned. So just as the Spirit is present at creation, so does the Spirit work us over and to make us fit for that new creation. That's the end goal of sanctification. It's to get us ready for this new heaven and this new earth, God's new world. I'm sure we've all heard the imagery of God being the potter and us being the clay, where God works us over and molds us into what we can be and perfected in love. That's what I imagine the Spirit is doing in our sanctification. Such a poignant image of how the Spirit works us over and turns all of the bad into good. And our scripture this morning in Romans provides us an example of how the Spirit does the Spirit's job. 
So what the Spirit does for us is so antithetical to the logic of the world. Our scripture this morning says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Who else in their right minds when they're experiencing pain or suffering thinks, fantastic, this is going to grow into hope? Well, the Christian does. The Christian does. They see the suffering and they say, God is going to transform this. I have hope in that. The Christian realizes that God doesn't cause all of our suffering, right? God did not put us in this position specifically to punish us or to test us, some divine test necessarily, but that God will see us through it. The Christian does have hope in that. The Christian realizes our suffering will be worked over and eventually turned into hope. We see this the very first time we see the Spirit in creation, where the Spirit transforms all of that chaos into order. That's what God does with our life. That's what the Spirit does with our life. The Spirit sees all that we're going through and transforms it into order, into hope. He sees our suffering, and it's the Spirit's job to move it from hope to perseverance to character, all of those things that we're going to need to get through this life. And what can't we do with this life without a little bit of that, right? So then we see that suffering is turned into character. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word here is actually dokime, and it's more closely related to a concept called proven character. And this has been discussed at length by people far more intelligent than me. People like John Milton, Origen, all types of people have talked about this idea of proven character. So the idea is we can only grow in our virtue, or what we good Methodists would call sanctification, only go through that process when we've been through something. This is how the Holy Spirit uses the bad in our lives to make good. The Spirit grows our spiritual maturity through all of the circumstances in our life. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that God's power is glorified in weakness. And then finally, we can grow to hope. So in our DNA, God has imbued this Spirit who makes us stronger in our weakest moments. Personally, God has used the toughest moments in my life to make me who I am today. I'm sure we can each think back to a time that we went through that was just abhorrent at the moment. And of course, we wouldn't wish to go back there and we wouldn't wish that moment on anybody. But we can look back and say, I see where the Spirit made me better getting through that. God didn't cause it, but I am who I am today because I am made better after. So just as the Spirit works us over and perfects us in love, so now, of course, is the response. We can't hold on to all of that goodness ourselves. We have to go out and do something about it. All that's been worked over and made good in us, so we go out into the world and make the world good. 
We know where our place to transform the world comes from because it's the intersection between our passions and our spiritual gifts. So you're not just out there, you know, aimlessly wandering, looking for something to make better. God has provided you a plan for that. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says this, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Have any of you read the book or seen the movie called Just Mercy? came out a while back, maybe five or six years ago. I'll give you the premise of it. Brian Stevenson is a lawyer, and he has a passion. Remember, passion and spiritual gifts, it's at that intersection. He has a passion for prison reform, but he utilized God's God-given spiritual gifts of compassion to help those whom the justice system has failed. So he meets a man who is on death row and forms this entire, he creates this entire prison reform system where he goes around and finds people where the justice system has failed them and helps get them out of these death sentence scenarios. He's a Christian man who God gave the spiritual gift of compassion. And then he had a passion for the law. And God used that intersection to give him his circle of the world to transform. What passion has God placed on your heart? And then what have you been through for God to see you through? You may find the Holy Spirit right there nudging you to action. As United Methodists, our mission statement is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that seems like a daunting task until you realize it is truly in your DNA to go about this work, to transform the world with boldness. God has provided you the same Holy Spirit that transforms your graves into gardens and then expects you to transform the world's graves into gardens. So how do we do that? A great place to start is with our Methodist general rules. Do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God. It's my nerdy little pet peeve. Sometimes we say that last one is to stay in love with God, but staying in love with God kind of seems like a passive thing to me. You know, if I just come to church and keep doing the same things, and I have these nice feelings about God that I'm doing all I need to do, but the original language of attend to the ordinances of God, that's an action. That's asking you to go to worship, to study your scriptures, to meet with other Christians and talk about your faith and where you've been. So with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, we are called to inflict the least amount of harm on God's people. And that seems like a simple thing, right? A simple ask. Do good. For God's people, whatever that may look like, where that intersection of your passion and your spiritual gifts are, and then attend to the ordinances of God. Because the greatest commandments are to love God and love neighbor. And we can't forget that love God part. Continually to keep growing in your love of God so the Spirit can nudge you to where you need to be. Keep up with your prayer time, keep up with your studies. 
grow in your membership vows here at Asbury. And the closer we dwell to the Lord, we begin to see the world through God's eyes. And you will know where the Spirit is calling you to work over all the bad in the world and turn it into something good. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to become more attuned to the Spirit. How many times have you specifically prayed in the name of the Holy Spirit? Probably not many. Unless maybe you're in the, the Chrysalis, Emmaus, or Crisio community where there's a specific prayer to the Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention to the Holy Spirit this week. Spend some time in quiet contemplation, maybe just five minutes. That's a big ask sometimes for us to write five minutes of silence, of quiet contemplation. Listen for the times where the Spirit has worked over your life and turned your bad into good. Become more aware of the Spirit's movement in your life. Listen to where the Spirit is leading you. And remember that that same Spirit who hovered over the waters of creation that created order out of the chaos, the same Spirit that conceived our Lord Jesus Christ and was there at his resurrection, and that same Spirit that empowered the first apostles to go out and preach the gospel to all the nations, that Spirit beckons you to find your circle of the world to transform. Let us pray.